Welcome to the Story Smith Podcast. I'm your host, Faison Lay. This being our first episode, I thought we could look at what you should do as an artist. This seems like an arbitrary question, but there are universal axioms to becoming an artist that are essential to know. In today's episode, and really over the course of this entire podcast, we will not only be taking a look at writing techniques, how to improve things like character and plot, but also we will be taking a look at three fundamental issues that all artists face. Number one, they only work when motivation strikes. Number two, they think they have to get everything right on their first try. Number three, they work on the same piece or project for years. There are other reasons, but they tend to be subsets of one of those three. For example, writer's block would be a subset of only writing when motivation strikes. These three things are probably the cause of the fact that 97% of wannabe authors never finish their first novel. However, before we can consider these three, there is something you must answer. Why do you write? Section 1. Five W's and How Out of the five W questions, who, what, when, where, and why, why you do something is by far the most important. What you do is next, how you do it is third, and yes, how is part of the five W's. It's just silent. Now why is the why so important? Friedrich Nietzsche, a famous German philosopher, said, He who knows why he lives can bear almost any how. If you don't know why you do something, every other question, the hows, whose, whats, whens, and wheres, will become a hindrance rather than a part of an enjoyable experience. They will overwhelm you, sooner or later. However, someone who knows why they are doing something will keep going regardless of what or who they face. So then, the next logical question is, how do you find why you do something? Unfortunately, that is something only you can answer. But answering it is not an option. It is a requirement. Far too many people think they know the answer, but as soon as they get a layer deeper, as soon as they get to the second why, they draw a blank. And by the way, saying, I want to make money, or some other material gain is not a valid answer. There is nothing wrong with wanting to make money from your art, of course, but there has to be a deeper reason behind it. So let me ask you, why are you doing this? Why are you writing, or playing an instrument, or learning to draw, or whatever creative endeavor you have set yourself on? Most people will say, because I love it. And perhaps that is your answer as well. So I ask again, why do you love it? Now, this is where many people pull a blank. They know, or at least they think they know they love it, but they don't know why they love it. Only you can answer why you do something. So ask yourself why, over and over and over again. Sit in a quiet place, perhaps with a pen and paper, and write your answers down. Then plaster it to your wall, or put it on your fridge, or staple it to your forehead. Never ever forget why you do something. If you can formulate your why, 
and then hold onto it with both hands as if your creative life depends on it, which it does, and feel it live and breathe and move within you for as long as your passion for what you do exists, you will never quit. Section 2. What, how, and when. Now that we have an idea of why we do something, we must find out what and how we do it. What you do is fairly simple. I'm sure you already know what you do. You write, you draw, you play an instrument, you sing, etc. How and when you do it? Now those are different questions. Most artists, we'll use Mr. George R. R. Martin as an example, are only engaging in their creative works when motivation strikes. And why wouldn't they? It's when they get the greatest enjoyment, the best results, and make the most progress. But as with most things in life, the way that is perceived to be the best and the easiest is often not the most effective. While all that is true of striking when your creativity is hot, there is one major disadvantage. It can take a very long time for your creativity to heat up to the point where it glows. Motivation is unpredictable. As an artist, particularly a new one in a market as old and as saturated as art, you cannot afford to be unpredictable or inconsistent, especially if you want to turn your passion into a living. So, what can you do to avoid unpredictability? Set alarms. Go to bed at the same time each night, preferably between 9 and 11 p.m., and wake up at the same time every morning, preferably between 5 and 7 a.m. This will help regulate your circadian rhythms, which will give you more energy during the day and will help you sleep better at night. This is important for artists, as we need to work regularly and at consistent times and amounts to make true progress. Perhaps you are a morning person and prefer to work first thing after you wake up. Maybe you prefer the afternoons. Maybe you prefer the evenings. Whenever you prefer to work, set a schedule that will allocate at least an hour, if not more, every day for at least four days a week to your creative work. In our case, writing. You won't feel like creating every day. Trust me, you won't. But if you have established why you are doing what you're doing, most of your motivation will come after you start, not before. See, the trick to getting into a routine isn't to wake up at 5 a.m. every day and work for 12 hours a day. The trick is to have a why so powerful that you will have a reason to get up in the morning, a something that makes you excited for the rest of the day. Even if that thing only lasts an hour or two, it will be so worth it that getting up in the morning itself will be exciting. Going back to George R. R. Martin, you may have seen his interview with Stephen King in which he asked King how he writes so fast. King's simple answer, although I am paraphrasing, was simply that he writes every day at approximately the same time for a set amount of time to get a set amount of work done. As a result, he's one of the fastest professional writers alive, arguably second only to Brandon Sanderson at this point in time, at least in the fiction genre. George Martin, however, seems to be a writer who strikes when motivation is red hot. The difference? 
Between the year 2000 and the year 2020, Stephen King has written approximately 25 novels and novellas. George R. R. Martin has written about eight. I'm not siding with who is the better author, but as you can see, the disparity in work speed is plainly obvious. You may think that writing is useless if you aren't good, but that simply is not true. There is only one way to improve at writing, or anything else for that matter, and that is to write, and practice, and learn new methods by watching films, TV shows, and by reading comics and novels, even by watching YouTube videos, although do be mindful for the egocentric wannabe authors who think themselves above the professionals merely because they can nitpick mistakes in professional work. My point is that we should constantly be on the lookout to learn. How do we learn? Ask any painter or digital artist and they'll likely tell you the same thing. Study the professionals. Section 2. Study the pros. If you don't have time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. It's as simple as that. A quote from Stephen King. If you want to write, you must read. There is no other way. Sure, you can watch those aforementioned self-acclaimed critics tear apart professional works, whether that be books, films, TV shows, or something else, and you could probably learn something about storytelling. But the only way for you to find your own writing voice your own style, your own stories, is to draw on the motivation, the blood, sweat and tears that were put into published books and learn from that. Just as a painter cannot improve their line art without looking at professional line art or cannot improve their contouring and colour blending without studying professional paintings, a writer cannot learn how to mix the different writing voices, come up with strong plots, write intriguing and real characters, or create worlds of their own without first studying those of their predecessors. Unfortunately for you and I, most books, most stories in general, do not have blood, sweat, or tears put into them. Most books are just bland, banal copy-paste structures with characters that don't even reach the second dimension and plot lines that will make the astute reader want to tear their hair out. So what must we do then? Search for those that do have the qualities that are appealing, the books that do have passion behind them, and read those. If you start a book and you find the prose boring, their characters unappealing at best, or the plot riddled with nonsensical holes the size of shotgun pellets, simply stop and move on to the next book. Sooner or later you will find an author whose prose, characters, and plots resonate with you. How do you know if an author is objectively good enough to aspire to? Another issue and I have is that there is no way to tell. Sure, there are plenty of ways to point out a bad author, but there are few ways to tell a great novel. The only way we can tell is by relying on our own preference. If a book makes you want to write, that is generally a good sign that it's moving you in the right direction. If a book does anything other than make you want to write, or improve as a writer at the very least, 
that's generally a signal that it's time to put the book down and move on to the next one. Are books the only medium to use? Absolutely not. As we mentioned earlier, movies and TV shows are also a great way to pick up and learn storytelling techniques. While critics are generally pretentious, there are some who try their utmost to stay objective while being constructively critical. Once again, unfortunately for us, the only way to find said constructive critics, as is the way to find a skillfully and passionately written novel, is to spend time wading through the mud to find those who seem to be the best. Once you find one, learn their critiquing methods, and then go through every story you touch with a fine-tooth comb, as if you're a scummy critic who has never made anything worthwhile in their life. The only difference is that you, dear listener, will not remain an unskilled house critic as long as you write and never lose your ability to tear up over the death of a beloved character. Maintain your emotional connection to art and take what moves you in other people's work and use it in your own. Just as our painters would take the lessons and discipline from the lines and lighting of another artist for their own work. In conclusion, I would like to read a slightly shortened version of my favorite essay on writing that I have found thus far. This short essay is the introduction to Stephen King's anthology, Night Shift. The introduction itself is written by John D. MacDonald, author of the wildly popular Travis McGee series, and one of the most popular novelists of his time, selling over 70 million books in his career. First, I want to thank you for choosing to spend some of your time with me here today, learning about our mutual love that is art, and how we can all improve in our work, and improve our lives on a daily basis, bit by bit. I'm Faison Lay, this is the StorySmith Podcast, and until next time, keep forging the art that you love. The Introduction to Stephen King's Night Shift I am often given the big smiling handshake at parties, which I avoid attending whenever possible, by someone who then, with an air of gleeful conspiracy, will say, You know, I've always wanted to write. I used to try to be polite. These days, I reply with the same jubilant excitement, You know, I've always wanted to be a brain surgeon. They look puzzled. It doesn't matter. There are a lot of puzzled people wandering around lately. If you want to write, you write. The only way to learn to write is by writing, and that would not be a useful approach to brain surgery. Stephen King always wanted to write, and he writes. So he wrote Carrie and Salem's Lot and The Shining and the good short stories you can read in this book and a stupendous number of other stories and books and fragments and poems and essays and other unclassifiable things most of them too wretched to ever publish. Because that is the way it is done. Because there is no other way to do it. Not one other way. Compulsive diligence is almost enough, but not quite. You have to have a taste for words. Gluttony. You have to want to roll in them. You have to read millions of them written by other people. You read everything with grinding envy or a wary contempt. You save the most contempt for the people who conceal ineptitude with long words, Germanic sentence structure, obtrusive symbols, and no sense of story, pace, or character. 
Then you have to start knowing yourself so well that you begin to know other people. A piece of us is in every person we can ever meet. Okay then. Stupendous diligence plus word love plus empathy. And out of that can come, painfully, some objectivity. Never total objectivity. At this frangible moment in time, I am typing these words on my blue machine, seven lines down from the top of my page two of this introduction, knowing clearly the flavor and meaning I am hunting for, but not at all certain I am getting it. Having been around twice as long as Stephen King, I have a little more objectivity about my work than he has about his. It comes so painfully and slowly. You send books out into the world, and it is very hard to shuck them out of the spirit. They are tangled children, trying to make their way in spite of the handicaps you have imposed on them. I would give a pretty to get them all back home and take one last good swing at every one of them, page by page, digging and cleaning, brushing and furbishing, tidying up. Stephen King is a far, far better writer at thirty than I was at thirty, or at forty. I am entitled to hate him a little bit for this and I think I know of a dozen demons hiding in the bushes where his path leads, and even if I had a way to warn him, it would do no good. He whips them, or they whip him. It is exactly that simple. Are we all together so far? Diligence, word lust, empathy, equal growing objectivity, and then what? Story. Story, damn it, story. Story is something happening to someone you have been led to care about. It can happen in any dimension, physical, mental, spiritual, and in combination of those dimensions, without author intrusion. Author intrusion is, my God, Mama, look how nice I'm writing. Another kind of intrusion is grotesquerie. Here is one of my favorites, culled from a big bestseller of yesteryear. His eyes slid down the front of her dress. Author intrusion is a phrase so inept the reader suddenly realizes he is reading, and he backs out of the story. He is shocked back out of the story. Another author intrusion is the mini-lecture embedded in the story. This is one of my most grievous failings. An image can be neatly done, be unexpected, and not break the spell. In a story in this book, called Trucks, Stephen King is writing about a tense scene of waiting in a truck stop, describing the people. He was a salesman, and he kept his display bag close to him, like a pet dog that had gone to sleep. I find that neat. In another story, he demonstrates his good ear, the ring of exactness and truth he can give dialogue. A man and his wife are on a long trip. They are traveling a back road. She says, yes, Bert, I know we're in Nebraska, Bert, but where the hell are we? He says, you've got the road atlas, look it up, or can't you read? Nice. It looks so simple, just like brain surgery. The knife has an edge, you hold it so, and cut. Now at risk of being an iconoclast, I will say that I do not give a diddly whoop what Stephen King chooses as an area in which to write. The fact that he presently enjoys writing in the field of spooks and spells and slitherings in the cellar is to me the least important and useful fact about the man anyone can relate. There are a lot of slitherings in here, and there is a maddened pressing machine that haunts me, as it will you, 
and there are enough persuasively evil children to fill Disney World on any Sunday in February. But the main thing is story. One is led to care. One of the most resonant and affecting stories in this book is The Last Rung on the Ladder. A gem. Nary a rustle nor breath of other worlds in it. Final word. He does not write to please you. He writes to please himself. I write to please myself. When that happens, you will like the work too. These stories please Stephen King and they please me. By a strange coincidence, on the day I write this, Stephen King's novel The Shining and my novel Condominium are both on the bestseller list. We are not in competition for your attention with each other. We are in competition, I suppose, with the inept and pretentious and sensational books published by household names who have never really bothered to learn their craft. Insofar as story is concerned, and pleasure is concerned, there are not enough Stephen Kings to go around. If you have read this whole thing, I hope you have plenty of time. You could have been reading the stories. John D. MacDonald